Welcome to Rex's Bible Minute, a weekly video where we study the Bible and try to let it say what it says. Uh, we are in week number 14, uh, so we're going to be covering chapters 11 through the first half of chapter 12, getting to verse 28. Um, we missed last week, uh, and so this is just going to be a, a very brief like recap of where we're at in uh, the narrative thus far. And then we'll get into it. So um, up to this point, we've seen that God has called a guy named Moses who was raised in Egypt uh, in kind of both worlds. He wasn't uh, raised fully in the Hebrew world. He wasn't fully raised in the Egyptian world. So he kind of was both. And he had to flee Egypt. God called him out of the land of Midian where he had established himself for years and years and years. He'd had his kids there. He'd, he got married there. God called him back with his brother to, uh, to, to lead the people of Israel out of slavery in Egypt. Um, and so the whole point of what God is doing is to show the whole world for generations to come, which is what happened, like we're still talking about it, that he is the undisputed ruler of the universe, and there is no other gods that can stand against him. There are no other gods, period. He is the undisputed ruler of the universe, and then he acts in terrifyingly powerful ways on behalf of those whom he loves, his people. And he has chosen the people of Israel at this point to be his people. The people that he's going to work through to save the whole world. That's his goal. And we're seeing evidences of that in the way he treats the Egyptians. That he hasn't just wiped them off the face of the earth. That he's, he's doing things as he is displaying his power through these plagues to show that, that he's not done with them yet either. And so we see, we've seen the plagues over and over, and they have a pattern. God will warn Pharaoh to let the people go, and he will refuse. The plague happens. Pharaoh sees the consequences of his actions and agrees to, but then when the consequences go away, he reneges on his, uh, his, his offer to let the people go. And we've seen that, that Pharaoh's process through all of this. He started out not even recognizing that the Israelites had a God to begging for this God's forgiveness but we're going to talk about that as we cover chapter 11 today, uh, that, that there is a difference between knowledge and acknowledgement. So let's go ahead and break this down. Pause the video here and go and read chapters 11 through chapter 12, verse 28. Go ahead and stop it here. Stop the video. Stop your, your podcast uh, if, you, if you need to. Um, if you're in a car driving, please don't take your eyes off the road. Um, but you can open the Bible app and have it read to you those sections as well. That way you can just listen to it. But uh, stop the video, stop the recording here, and, uh, and, and listen to chapters 11 through 12. All right, so assuming you did that, Briefly, what happened in chapter 11 was God told Moses what he's about to do. He told him that he is going to unleash the final plague, and this will be the one that finally convinces Pharaoh to let the people go. The Pharaoh will not back out on this in a sense. We'll talk about that more in a couple weeks. But this is the one that finally lets the people go. And we see in this chapter that God tells Moses, who in turn tells Pharaoh about the final plague. And we see that Pharaoh refuses to acknowledge Yahweh as the supreme God of the universe. Like we see that again. We've seen Pharaoh beg for his forgiveness. We've seen that he acknowledges him. But this being a showdown between Pharaoh and the gods of Egypt, the most powerful gods on the planet, that he has yet to acknowledge God as being what he is. And that, that's an important thing for us to realize throughout all of this. 
and especially in our own lives, that there is a difference between knowing something and acknowledging something. Now, the wording back in the scripture here for acknowledgement, it's more than just just knowledge. Like we tend to think of acknowledgement as you're just acknowledging something as knowing something. But to acknowledge something is really to submit to it. And that, you know, we, we, in, in the terms of a God and, and deities, okay, we understand that that's a little more obvious, but we acknowledge things all the time. It's just whether or not we submit to them. If we acknowledge that somebody is right, we submit to that or we don't. We may know they're right, but we don't necessarily acknowledge it. Does that make sense? That this is acknowledgement is more about submitting to something and letting it be the truth that you obey. And so for Pharaoh, he sees here that there is this God. He's seen the evidence of this God, and he hasn't been able to refute or stop anything. He's been helpless to stop what God has done to him and to his nation this whole time, probably over several years. But it has yet to acknowledge that God is his superior, and he struggles with it, and he continues to fail at that. And when you read chapter 11, you see that, that he's furious about it. Like it's, it's, it's like a, a kid when they, they're, they're faced with a truth that they don't like. And they just, they can't do anything about it, but they refuse to accept it. They'll throw a temper tantrum. They'll throw a, a fit and get mad or yell or, or they'll just act out because they don't want to accept this truth. And that's exactly what we see Pharaoh do here for one last time. Then after chapter 11, Moses goes and he tells the people of Israel about the final plague. So he's told Pharaoh, now he tells the people. Uh, for a long time, I did youth ministry. Since about 2008, I've been active in youth ministry. And one of the things that always cracks me up, especially towards the end of my time in youth ministry several years ago, um, is that kids would always treat me like I didn't know the word meant. Right? Like kids were being ornery and would use a phrase or use a, a word and they would act like I didn't know what it meant. Like they, they believed like I was just clueless to whatever they were talking about. It's like they forget that uh, I was a teenager too, right? Like I, I know what those words mean. I, I know what you're talking about. Like it just always blew my mind that kids would, would have that lack of understanding that I'm a person too and to be where I'm at means I had to be where they are at. That's kind of, I think, our attitude towards the Israelites here, right? We are on the, the opposite side of 3,500 years of Scripture, that we have the Old Testament, we have the New Testament, we have all this knowledge about God that we can go and dig into anytime we want, and we have books and books and books and libraries worth of information on people trying to understand it, different perspectives, different ways for people to try and, 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 and work through the Scriptures, we think that we that the people of Israel should know all of this stuff. But the reality is, they don't. All they have seen is God's hand acting before them in terrifyingly powerful ways. I mean, thus far in the journey, we've seen that they suffered the same as the Egyptians through the plagues of, the, of blood and the frogs and the gnats. They experienced those right along the Egyptians. And then they witnessed the flies and the livestock disease and the boils and the hail and the locusts and the darkness. They didn't suffer through those things, but they witnessed the Egyptians suffering through them. And yet the whole time, 
they don't have a Bible to turn to. They don't have scripture to seek out. They can't read commentaries on the book of Exodus to understand what is going on around them. They didn't even know God's name until Moses told them. Like God didn't reveal his name until recently to them. They have nothing but oral traditions passed down. Nothing has been codified. Nothing's been set in stone. They didn't know who this God was really. Most of them were probably henotheists, that they had their God and every other people group had their gods, and this was just a battle between the gods. They, they probably didn't realize that there is only one God. I can't verify that, but that's kind of my guess. People tend to fade into the cultures around them. And so we see here that the people of Israel are going through all of these plagues and they're witnessing all of these plagues. And their, their God is somebody that's a relative stranger to them. God is just really getting his rescue plan off the ground. Very soon after this, we'll see the law. We'll see the, the, the scriptures start to get written. But up to this point, they didn't really know. And so Moses tells them that God is going to do this one last plague. And it is a plague that is an attack at the heart of every tribal society. This final plague is that God will take away the firstborn son of every family, both animal and people, in the land of Egypt. To lose your firstborn son to a tribal society, which the Israelites most definitely were at this point, that was the most unthinkable thing. That was what they worked their entire lives for, was to have a son, an heir. That was what got Abraham to leave his country, his home, and everything he knew to travel to some place that he knew nothing about. Because that is at the heart of tribal societies. And God says, I'm going to unleash this one last plague. That would have been terrifying for them. And so God gave specific instructions for what they're supposed to do when this one happens. They're to get a lamb that is a year old with no blemish. It can't have three legs. It can't have any spots. It has to be a pure lamb, uh, either a sheep or a goat. They're to get it on the 10th day of the month. And they're going to eat it on the 14th day of the month. And this month shall be the beginning of their spiritual year. Now, there's some confusion there because it says the beginning of the year. This was never taken literally, that the, the people of Israel, both in ancient times and today, none of them have ever used this as their first of their calendar year. It's the beginning of their spiritual year. And they're supposed to take this lamb and they're supposed to roast it. They can't boil it. They can't. Grill it, they are supposed to roast it on a fire and eat it all. That there can't be any leftovers. If there's if the one family can't eat a whole lamb, then they're to get together with another family and eat one together. And then in the morning, what's not eaten is to be burnt up. There can't be anything left over. And they're to eat it with flatbread, with pita bread, and bitter herbs. And they're to eat it ready to go. They need to have their shoes on their feet when they eat it. They need to have their their robes tied tight. A lot of translations say, gird your loins, but it really just means they've got their their robes on. That way they're ready to walk out the door. It'd be like, have your jacket on, getting ready to go, right? They're they're, they're supposed to eat it uh, like somebody who's in a hurry, who knows that they're about to leave because they are. This is supposed to be a meal eaten in haste. 
And they're supposed to take the lamb after they butcher butcher it, take the blood of the lamb, and put it on the lintel, the top of the door, and on the door posts. Dip hyssop in it and, and use that to paint it on there. And this is to show that when the destroyer passes over, the, the angel, the spiritual being that is going to carry out this plague, that this is part of God's people. This is the Israelites. And, you know, a lot of times we're just like, yeah, that's what saves them. And in a sense it does, but he ever stopped and asked why? You know, if God was able to keep darkness from covering the ghetto and the, the Goshen, the part, the, the place where the Israelites lived, if he was able to stop darkness from going into there, don't you think he knows who the Israelites are? If you stop and ask the question, why, it kind of makes you scratch your head a little bit. And it makes you realize it's not about God. God knows who the Israelites are. Putting the blood on the door is for the Israelites. Because you have these people who are scared and they're told that this, the most unimaginable thing to them is about to happen. Here's how they stay comfortable. Here's how they, they have trust. Here's how they have faith. They obey God. So the, it's about their obedience so that they will mark themselves as the people of God. That's what this is about. That marking the, the, the doors with blood, it's, it's about their obedience and them choosing to identify as the people of Israel. Up to this point, it's been God that has kept the plagues from them. Now they have to choose it for themselves. They have to be obedient and do what God has asked of them. It's about their obedience and it's about God comforting them. When they see that on the doors... They can trust that God is going to spare them. They are choosing to identify themselves as the people of God. And so as we get to the, the parallels in the New Testament section of today's study, we have to be reminded of what a type is. There is this thing called typology. And we see it throughout the Old, Old Testament that God did things that were types, that were precursors of the same form but not the same substance of what he was going to do through Jesus. And we see them everywhere, whether it's um, uh, Abraham about to sacrifice Isaac or the Passover lamb. And th this one today, it's, it's the most obvious one. The people of Israel uh, took a lamb that was without blemish. It had no, no wrongs with it. Jesus was a perfect be person. He had not broken the law at all. He had no blemishes. Uh, he was uh, they were to keep it, the lamb for three days and eat it on the fourth day. Jesus was only with us for a short while, 33 years. We see that the lamb's blood after it was killed was what caused the destroyer to pass over. It's what causes the, the, us to be saved from sin and death. But our partaking of the blood, our communion, our, our uh, the, the, us choosing to participate in the death of Christ, that's us choosing the offer that God has made to us through Jesus. And so we see that they eat the meal in haste, being ready to go. In the same way, when we receive Christ, it's not just there, we're done. What happened after the Passover? The people had to leave. They had to do the work. We have to do the work when we get, when we find Jesus, when we choose to accept him, to be obedient, that we have things to do. He has called us to. That's why he saved us. That's his words, that we have been called to the work that he prepared for us beforehand. God is doing big things and he's always done big things. 
But it's up to us to, to take ownership of it and to play our part. If you have any questions, reach out. Otherwise, I hope this study was helpful and encouraging to you. See you next week. It's not our house, it's not our